episode of Fat Girl Book Club. For this episode, we read the book Unapologetic Eating by Alyssa Rumsey. I really cannot wait for you to listen to this episode. I am like giddy with excitement because it's so good. (laughs) I'm going to tell you a little bit about my guest in a minute. I just... A couple of things to mention. First and foremost, if this is your first episode listening to Fat Girl Book Club and you're interested in some of the ideas that are presented here around body image, I have a free resource for you. It's called the Your Better Body Image Checklist and you can get it by going to my website, iwishiwereme.com. You'll see a link in the show notes. Go ahead and grab that because it just gives you some really practical ideas on things you can do to improve your body image fairly quickly. The second thing I will mention is that this is a book podcast. And so, of course, I have a Facebook group all around books. (laughs) It's the Your Better Body Image Book Club, and it's a Facebook group. There'll be a link to that in the show notes as well. You're going to want to get in there if you're not already in there, because there's some really cool stuff happening in there. Uh, First of all, I'm going to be changing the book club slightly. So right now... Everybody who's on my email list every single week gets an email with me about what book it is that we're reading for that week. That's going to be changing. That book, that email is probably going to be going away and in its place is going to be something a little different that may just kind of list out the main points. But all the changes that I'm doing to the book club, I'm kind of running them by the group that's in there right now. Things like, Would you like a Zoom meetup where we can talk about these books? Uh, Would you like to see some of the elements of that email stick around? How often would you like to get correspondence about the book club? Would you like to be a participant in figuring out which books we're going to do? So we're really kind of crafting it in there. So I think it's a really good place to go if you're interested in joining a book club and want to kind of make sure that we're going in the right direction for you and your needs. The other cool thing in there is that every time I get a new interview scheduled, I put the book in there. So I let you know which books are kind of coming up on the podcast. And I ask you if you've got any questions for the guests. So you can kind of shape the interview a little bit. You'll find here in this interview that there was one of the questions from that group that I ended up asking my guest. So it's kind of an exciting thing. Lastly, and this one, maybe I buried the lead a little bit because I give away a book every month in there. So the book that we're going to be reading for the following month, I always give away mid-month of the month before. Now, this month is going to be a little different because I'm taking the month of August off. This is going to be an opportunity for me to really rethink what's going on in there and get it to be something that is going to be useful for people. But I'm still giving away a book this month. The editor of the book Big, which was featured on the last two podcast episodes, Christina Myers, she gave me a copy of the book to give away. So I'm going to be giving away a copy of that book. So if you loved the last two podcast episodes where I was talking to uh, really some amazing people about that book, about their experiences, about their stories make sure that you jump into the Facebook group because you're really just, you're just going to want to be entered for all of those draws because I it doesn't matter to me where you are. I will get it to you unless you're somewhere that's really obscure and then we have to kind of work something out. But in most cases, I will get it to you uh, and 
it's an opportunity to win a free book. I mean, come on. For me, that's that's all it would take. <laughs> so this book is called Unapologetic Eating, and the tagline is Make Peace with Food and Transform Your Life. The description that I am getting this time off of Amazon says, Most women have spent time dieting and trying to change themselves in order to fit into a mold and a body that is deemed socially acceptable. Yet it is dieting that is the problem. It disconnects us from our body's wisdom and holds us back from living life to the fullest. The more time we spend trying to fix ourselves, the less time we have for the things that really matter. What presents as a problem about food is, in reality, much deeper and more complex. In her new book, Unapologetic Eating, Make Peace with Food and Transform Your Life, registered dietitian and certified intuitive eating counselor Alyssa Rumsey helps you explore your history with food and your body and question societal expectations to get to the bottom of the complexity and find a clear path forward, forever free from diets. Using a relatable four-step approach, Rumsey teaches you how to reconnect with your body using your relationship with food as the entry point. She provides actionable tools you can use to confidently nourish yourself physically, mentally, and emotionally. You'll learn how to make peace with food, improve your body image, trust your intuition, and reclaim the space to eat and live unapologetically. Say goodbye to the constraints of dieting and hello to the freedom and empowerment to live your most fulfilling life. Sorry about the interruption there by my dog. This book covers a lot of ground and uh, me and my guest talk a lot about how much ground is actually covered. So I'm not going to talk too much about that. I'll let the interview speak for itself. The guest I have today is Maggie Landes, and I met her on Clubhouse, actually, which is a kind of a cool new app. It's a social media app where people talk instead of having it about pictures or, you know, Facebook being kind of about words. Uh, this is really about talking to people. And I met her on there and she's pretty super cool. I thought she was pretty super cool. And so I asked her if she would be a guest and I am just floored that she said yes because this was such a good conversation I loved it so much let me tell you a little bit about her Maggie Landes is a board certified physician public health nutritionalist and anti-diet wellness expert she created her signature get eat fluenced coaching program I love that get eat fluenced mm -hmm. coaching program to help women who are exasperated with chronic dieting be able to fix their food overwhelm and live a full and unrestricted life pursuing their personal passions without the distraction of rigid eating behavior. She is also the creator and host of the Eatfluencer podcast, where she and her guests dig into the mindset work required to construct a healthy, complete, and high quality life unlimited by the oppression of diet culture. I know you're going to love this discussion. I mean, love this discussion because I did so much. I can't even tell you as I was sitting here editing, I was like, just like kind of laughing to myself at how wonderful this discussion was. So I'm not going to keep you in suspense any longer. Without further ado, here is my conversation with Maggie Landes. Hi, Maggie. Welcome to Fat Girl Book Club. Yes. Hi, Jen. I'm so glad to be here today. Thrilled. I'm like a bookworm. So yes. Yes, uh, I was, as soon as you mentioned this, I thought, of course, <laughs> of course, I'm reading and language. Love it. Love it. Well, I mean, this book was uh, 
quite the book to get through. It was so much in there. But before we jump into Unapologetic Eating by Alyssa Rumsey, let's talk about you. So can you tell the listeners a little bit about your intuitive eating journey? Sure. Well, I am uh, a physician and that's important to say because I went to medical school about 20 years ago very much uh, entrenched in diet culture thinking both personally and professionally because I'm in my mid forties. Right. And I'll be the first to admit, I mean, I went for decades, decades, repeating this diet culture, you know, bogus stuff, uh, wearing a white coat, which is, a, you know, I think uh, important to know that doctors are not immune to this stuff. But what changed my life, I actually was diagnosed with cancer at the age of 40. I'm fine. I'm better. I'm in remission. I don't, you know, that's not the point of the story, but the point of the story regarding my cancer experience was I decided when I almost died that I didn't want to get that close to dying again, (laughs) at least not prematurely. Right. That's what everybody's goal is, is to not die at least prematurely. So I started, that's when I really started doing a deep dive on nutrition. I've always had a interest in nutrition and food and things like that, but I didn't, you know, read from the source, you know, like I'm talking, go to PubMed, read the articles, that kind of thing. And when I started doing this, we'll call it an independent study, I realized, wow, there is a lot of stuff being uh, promoted, even in healthcare, even in the doctor's office that is not really evidence-based. And I really felt like I needed to learn more about this because it's not, it's just not right. And, and the, the average person thinks that if it comes from a medical professional, a dietitian or a doctor or whatever, that it's like biblical truth. And unfortunately, there's a lot of influence of diet culture in our education and in our profession. So that's what really got this little bee in my bonnet about getting into this. So, so much so that I went back to grad school because, you know, that's what we do for fun (laughs) is go to grad school because I really wanted to, I I thought, honestly, I blame myself a little bit. I thought, you know what? It's been almost 20 years. Maybe, maybe it's different now. Maybe I'm the one that's, you know, not up to speed with what's being taught in the year 20, you know, 19 or whatever. So newsflash, not, no, that's not the problem. (laughs) I'm not the problem. The system. I know, right. That would be the easier (laughs) fix. That'd be so much easier. Uh, Unfortunately, I realized, so basically I I have a master's in uh, public health nutrition and many of the people I, you know, was in school with are going to go on and do their internship and become dietitians. So that's sort of the background there. It's diet culture influence too, even in the year 2019, 2020, you know, so I said, oh no, then now I've got to, I've got, I have a, a compulsion to speak out about this. And really, and this has to do with everything, intuitive eating, health at every size, the, the sort of body uh, acceptance, the whole deal. I thought, you know, we got to get this into the ears and in front of the eyes of people who have been dealing with this for decades, decades, holding back what they are capable of doing in their life because they're waiting for that diet or that weight loss or that perfect body. And it's sad it's really a tragedy. So that's where I found my mission and my voice. And that's what I do now. I've almost left my clinical practice completely to pursue this platform and really, you know, help people and overturn this narrative. 
So I loved this book because I feel like uh, Alyssa Rumsey is very much, you know, doing the same thing with her credentials is getting this message out. And this book is a great example of that. So when you went back and was there any mention of health at every size or intuitive eating in any of your classes? Okay. Well, when you say mention, uh, there was, and I'm talking like a full graduate school program. Okay. There was one line in one textbook that mentioned health at every size is this sort of movement that a few people are participating in. And, and there was, I mean, I, when I say one sentence, literally one sentence with a period at the end, and that was it. So basically, no, basically, no. But I'll tell you what was in the textbook. I had a textbook that was published in the year 2017, I think, and it had the food pyramid in it, the food pyramid from the 1970s. So, you know, it's kind of asinine that, that there's no evolution of, of this sort of nutrition culture. Wow. Isn't that scary? It's like, we don't, what, what if you were taking medication from the fifties or doing surgical procedures from the 1950s or something? It would, nobody does that, but we, you know, this, some people said some stuff about fat, uh, 50 or 60 years ago. And we like are holding on to it, like the Holy grail. And we're not allowing for new information to you know, for any, any, I mean, you know, I, I don't even know what, there's no words, frankly, there's no words. No. I, I guess because I absorb all of this stuff and I'm in the podcast and doing all the books, I, I must, I'm in kind of an echo chamber because I feel like, oh yeah, we're making progress, but maybe not as much as we think. Well, I mean, wait, there is progress. Cause I'll be honest, you know, a podcast like yours wouldn't have existed. You know, there, there would be no audience. There would be no conversation, let's say 10 years ago. So the fact that anybody's listening to any conversation, I think we're making progress. And I hope that we, in our lifetimes, you and I see this whole thing. I hope this is a historical footnote that diet culture is like, you know, we write a book on it and it's like in past tense. That would be great. I'd love it. Yeah, I'd love we'll it. We'll see. And we'll feature that book here on the podcast. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Shameless self-promotion. That's right. That's right. <laughs> okay, well, let's get into this book. Uh, this was yeah. a tomb of a book. There was so, like, the scope of this book was so, it was unexpectedly large for me. So was there anything that stuck out to you as something you really, really liked or anything that maybe you felt was missing or that you maybe didn't like quite so much? Well, I'll tell you that she didn't miss much. I mean, there is a lot, very comprehensive, lots and lots of also scientific resources, of course, and citations and stuff, which I was very happy to see. But I think that the the best summary of how this book sort of fits into maybe all the, the books in this sort of section mm-hmm. is that this was real. she did a really good job of making this experience of learning intuitive eating and body positivity personal, and then helping the reader figure out where that fits in the bigger conversation. So, cause there's sort of two things that are going on in parallel and she did a real good job of making that clear. You know what I mean? It's, it's for, it's for an individual person, but when you, the individual person sees where they belong in this cultural conversation, 
she kind of connected the dots there. And I think that's really great because there are a lot of books I've read that are outstanding that kind of deal with one or the other. Mm. But she really uh, introduced both of those ideas really in a, a very balanced way. So I think that was, I can't say that there was anything really missing. I mean, there wasn't a lot of, you know, sort of granular nutrition information, but that wasn't her mission, I don't think. And there's other books that have that. So I don't, I can't say it really belonged in this. This was a little more of a psychology book than a science book. Yeah, yeah. yeah I felt she went that direction too. I, I loved how she put a bunch of things together that uh, I hadn't seen together either. Like you say, talking about the systems, uh, talking about uh, body image, and then also talking about intuitive eating, and then also talking about how to have self-compassion with yourself and how to uh, talk about your values and your boundaries. Yeah, it was a lot and really deep. She goes really deep into it. But the thing that she did that was really useful is the um, all these sort of little exercises and you know questions to ask yourself and little journal prompts and things like that to make it like real for a person, you know, cause this could easily be like way over a lot of people's head. If they have, if they don't have that background in sort of the human psyche and emotional intelligence and that sort of thing. But I think she overcame that potential obstacle by, by inserting all those. She threw so many questions at you that sometimes it was like, okay, better stop. Right think about that it's, it's almost kind of like a work you could treat it like a workbook if totally. you wanted to totally. there's I, that surprised me honestly I didn't know that when I ordered the book you know I didn't know that was sort of the format and I was pleasantly surprised to see that because I think it makes it realistic and personal for yeah the the reader yes so yeah yes. she did a great job but I was surprised you know she's a dietitian she's not a psychologist she's a dietitian and it was cool hearing this from somebody that's got you know, a more of a hard science type credentials. Yeah. So it was, that was a fun surprise, I would say. Yes. Yes. No, it was great. It was great. So she divides the book into four different sections. And the first one is called fixing. And she goes over a whole whack load of history and a whole, like, I mean, it was just so comprehensive, but so we can't really obviously talk about everything, but one of the things she talks about is weight stigma and healthcare. And I'm thinking you probably have some experiences oh, with that. Um, so yeah. can, can we talk a little bit about that? What has been your experiences with weight stigma and healthcare? I guess what we should start with is, can we define weight stigma and what that means for you know people in larger bodies? Right. Well, in terms of what that means in healthcare, you know, the weight stigma is that uh, people in large bodies or fat bodies, whatever term we want to use here is they're not in healthcare getting the same experience as somebody in a different size body. Mm. They're not getting an equivalent interaction with the providers. They're not getting equivalent treatment. And the problem, so, I mean, and it's, it's obvious. So it's, it's obvious to anybody who's ever been to a doctor's office. I mean, you go to the waiting room, where do you go before you even get to the exam room? They drag you to the scale, right? Like the scale is in the hallway on the way to the exam room. So the the weight-centered experience is set up from the minute go before you've even interacted with, before anybody's even opened their mouth, before you've seen the whites of the doctor's eyes, 
it's a weight centered experience. And the problem is if you are in a, you know, not normative, I'm doing air quotes, you know, sort of in the medical field, you know, what we say this sort of normal size and shape, everything in that entire encounter becomes uh, centered on the weight when it's, it's really just distracting from the conversation that needs to be taking place. Cause you know, healthcare is a privilege. It, it, there are a lot of people with extreme challenges accessing the healthcare system for a variety of reasons. So once you're in that space, we have got to make that the optimal experience for healthcare delivery. That's the point of it. That's the point. And the problem, and I, I've had experience both on both sides of this, because I have been the doctor and I've been the patient. And I am in a larger, not exceptionally marginalized body, but a larger body where weight has been a quote concern of my doctors. Okay. You know, I love how they're so concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody's concerned, right? <laughs> uh, lots of concern going on out there. <laughs> no kidding. But uh, I, I've seen the whole thing and here's what really is the tragedy. Of course, it's, it's really a disservice on an interpersonal level. I mean, when you make everything about the person's size, the patient's size, before they've even started the experience, that's mm-hmm. negative. Okay. But the big picture problem is that they don't come back. Okay. They don't come back. I can't even, I can't enumerate the number of people who have told me, I hate going to the doctor's office. I know I'm going to get attacked about my diet. I know I'm going to be shamed about my size. I know I'm going to be told to lose lose weight and and I just don't go. I just don't go. And they oh, I've been it's been, you know, and we're talking 50, 60-year-old women who are like, yeah, I haven't had a mammogram in 10 years because I just don't even want to go. Or a pap smear or had my blood pressure taken or anything. And so the problem is that then we lose health. And then here's what, here's what happens. And this is, this is an eye opener. So then Mm -hmm. we do all these studies on fat people that, oh, they have more breast cancer. They have more high blood pressure. They have this stuff. And we haven't done, you know, uh, data collection, the fact that we have stigmatized them out of the healthcare system so that they do not have access to these ongoing health promoting behaviors and health screenings and stuff that actually improves your health, you know? And so then we blame it on them. We don't blame it on the fact that they didn't go to the doctor for 20 years because they came in for a sinus infection and were told to lose weight. You know, that is a problem. That's a problem. So we're doing a disservice to the individual person, but we're doing a disservice to public health. This is the public health part of me talking, you know, we're doing a a disservice to the whole purpose, the whole mission when we treat individuals in this way. Mm. Um, and it's a, it's a problem. I mean, it's just, you know how it is. It just, the scale is the first thing. And sometimes the penultimate thing that is focused on in any visit for any reason. Yes. Yes. Well, it's so scary as a, uh, I, I am dealing with the situation where I've moved and I've moved to a town where I, I'm in Canada. So I know our systems are slightly different, uh, but I'm trying to find myself a practitioner 
And uh, I have struggled with eating disorders in the past. And in order for me to find one, I found someone now who's willing to do kind of a meet and greet. Uh, but I wrote all over my application form, you know, will not discuss weight, eating disorder history, uh, hoping that that's going to stop some of the um, things from coming up that I'm worried are going to come up. Like I'm, right. I'm, I'm clear, I am preparing myself to have to advocate for myself when I walk through the door. And that makes me get my walls up immediately. That makes me feel very uh, vulnerable and scared and uh, angry too. Um, <laughs> right. You know, like where I'm, and I, I do have a sinus infection. It's funny you mentioned that because that's what's going on with me is my sinuses are ridiculous. So I do need help, but I am worried about going in there. Uh, do you have any tips for people who are trying to find somebody right. in the system that we're in? Well, yeah. And see, that's the thing is that as complex and challenging as that is for you, you got to remember you're in your position with your knowledge and your sort of fortitude, you're sort of way better equipped to deal with that. I mean, most people in your situation would be like, I'm just not going. Like I'm yes. just, I'm, yes, I'm not going to even true. put myself in that position. You're at least willing and I'm willing to go. I go to my doctor and I just ignore what they say, but I can, <laughs> but see, I can kind of do that because I know enough to know what I need to hear and what I don't need to hear. You know, most yeah. people don't have the privilege of that level of uh, information. So, you know, I, I want people to know, and I tell people this all the time, they're very surprised being weighed as an adult, I'm talking to adults, not children or babies, but adults being weighed at the doctor's office, there's about, I don't know, half a dozen reasons why you would need to be weighed. Like legitimately, we need to know your exact weight. All right. If you're on dialysis, if you're getting chemotherapy, I mean, like outliers. Okay. To go to a doctor's appointment for a sinus infection or anxiety or acne or diarrhea or whatever you're there for, the weight has nothing to do with it, nothing to do with it. It's not necessary. That's not how we dose medications. That's not required. That, and you hear this, there's sort of this urban legend like, well, you have to put it on the chart or the doctor won't get paid. Listen, folks, all right? It, it's not your problem how the doctor gets paid. And second of all, uh, we have patients all the time refusing all kinds of things in the doctor's office. That's what people do. They come in and they refuse to have their blood drawn. They refuse to get a vaccine. They refuse to have a test done. That's like normal, but nobody ever refuses to have their weight done because they have this, this misconception that that's like uh, an absolute requirement. But I'm telling you, there are very few reasons that it's medically necessary, specifically at every single encounter. That's crazy. So you're allowed to say no. I mean, you're allowed to say no. And I, you know, that seems confrontational, but see, the funny part is nobody thinks it's confrontational when they say, no, I don't want to get a bone scan or a blood draw, or nobody thinks twice about that. But we have this, the person in the fat body is in a submissive position and they feel like they can't do that. They feel like they can't say that, but you can and you can say it nicely. I'm not saying to start a war with the MA that's trying to weigh you in the hallway of the clinic, you know, but you can just say, I prefer not to be weighed today, uh, you know, or I'm, I'd like to speak to my doctor before I get weighed, or I'd like to 
you know, discuss with my doctor how weight is relevant to my complaint today or whatever. Uh, I mean, you can just say no. And, and it takes some guts because most people probably have not done that before, but the, the person that's weighing you is usually like the, you know, the medical assistant, it's not the actual doctor. It's frequently not even a nurse. And they don't care. Like, let me just be honest. They don't, they don't really care. They're like, okay, you were going to get weighed. You don't want to get weighed, whatever. And it's just like, check, you know, let's just get you to the room, like move on with it. So I think we're overthinking the impact yes. of refusing a weight, you know, and I just, you yes. can do that. I love that. <laughs> and even, that. let me tell you this, even if you need to be weighed, let's say you are getting chemotherapy or dialysis or something, and you really do need to be weighed, you can turn around backwards on the scale and they can mm -hmm. record your weight for their little notation for, to redose your treatment plan or whatever it is. And if it's triggering to you, you don't have to see it. Yeah. Uh, that's another sort of middle ground option. Yes. Um, I, I've done that one before. Yeah. I've done that one before. I will admit that where it's like, no, I'm, I, I didn't have the courage to say I didn't want to be weighed, but I did say, I don't want to see my weight. And they were okay with that. Like you said, they didn't, she didn't really care. It really wasn't, there was no remark. There was, I'm gearing myself up for something that didn't come. It was a bit of a letdown. It was good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think we, I, I, yeah, I think a lot of people are overthinking how much, especially that person, because that person, that's not the provider. They're just, they're just kind of have a task list and right. You know, so I don't want to get too far off the book, but it's, but that's important to know that uh, yeah. I, even though you don't feel like you have any power, you do have, have power and, and really a patient centered experience uh, sometimes needs to not involve the scale. Right. Well, and what, what about if somebody does have a sinus infection and goes in and does get told that losing weight is, is what you need to do? Uh, any suggestions for how to handle that type of a situation? Right. Well, yes. And that happens all the time. So, you know, I think the best thing it's, it doesn't go real well if you're disrespectful to the doctor, let's just be honest. Yes. You know, we don't like confrontational aggressive patients or know-it-all type patients, you know? So a real simple line that you can use is I hear that you're concerned about my weight and we can talk about that at a different time, even though you don't have to talk about it at a different time. And, but I would like to know what other recommendations you have for allergies or knee pain mm. or whatever today, you know, mm. um, you know, what, just, just sort of uh, put that on the back burner to, to ver you know, validate, I guess the doctor's quote concern. Yes. And then I want to hear other things, you know, because I promise mm. you the skinny person with the sinus infection the doctor has some ideas. The doctor is not just mm. standing there in front of them, like shrugging their shoulders saying, well, you're skinny. So I don't have any damn idea. I don't know. I guess, I guess, I, I guess if you can't lose weight, I don't, I mean, you know what I'm saying? It's like, yes. there's an answer for everything. Yes. Even the things that you think are weight related, like joint pain and sleep apnea and, and reflux and stuff. Skinny people have those problems too. And there's other recommendations. There's other treatments, mm. there's other ideas, there's other questions to ask. So don't let the doctor totally derail your opportunity to learn those other things and participate in those other treatment options. Ugh, but that's kind of, that. I like that one liner. Cause you know, if you just say, yes. you just, okay, I hear your concern and mm -hmm. we, 
I'm going to, I'd like to sort of table that for now, or let's put that on the back burner, or we'll talk about that again, or I'll have another appointment for that or whatever, blah, blah, blah. I love you know, it. Just kind of shove it to the side, just sweep it to the side a little bit and then get, get what you deserve. And because it's so precious, that time in the doctor's office is so precious. It's not, you don't have that much time. So yeah, no, no that is exactly. so. And I hope your sinuses get better. I hope you, you know, this is a time of year. It's I don't know what's blooming in Canada, but everybody here's all snarfly and snotty right now too. So, thank you, I appreciate that. <laughs> so she moves into the next section called allowing, which is where she really kind of gets into intuitive eating. But one of the other techniques she talks about is mindfulness. And I'm interested in mindfulness because it's not really a technique that I've thought about or read too many books about. Uh, so I'm curious to know what it is, I guess. And then if you've ever used it with clients or anyone and uh, how you think it can help. Well, so mindfulness, that's a great question because mindfulness, and I'm going to kind of keep this in the context of eating because that's what we're really focusing on with this book. The I did think when I was first learning about this, that mindful eating and intuitive eating were like synonyms. That's a common sort of entry level assumption, but they're not. And um, intuitive eating is bigger and encompasses a lot more, including mindful eating. Like mindful eating is like one little mm. piece inside the big intuitive eating you know, I'm doing, of course I'm waving my hands. This is a podcast. Like, give me a break, Maggie. You know, people can't see me waving my hands. It's like, in fact, I think she may even use that analogy. It's either her or somebody else has said like, it's like a umbrella. Intuitive eating is the umbrella and mindfulness is like one of those little spokes holding the umbrella up, you know, mm -hmm. mindfulness is a internal experience. It is a sensory based experience. So with regards to food, it's having that level of awareness around eating that involves your own body's feedback. So sort of, I know this sounds real woo woo, but it's just sort of communicating with the experience of eating and how your body's responding to that. And that includes not just digestion and how your belly feels after you eat something, but the idea of the mouthfeel of food and the, the uh, satiety factor and whether you actually enjoy eating this food and is it a, a pleasurable experience? Are you taking time to enjoy it? Are you, are you listening to your body when it is enjoying something, not enjoying something when it's full? Are you, it's really that impact of the experience processed in a sort of sensory lens. Okay. And intuitive eating requires that you start doing some of those things because that's how you're going to know what to eat and how much to eat. Like you kind of need the mindfulness in order to, uh, kind of close that loop between your decision-making brain and your body. And we'll talk about that a little bit when she gets into the embodiment thing, but intuitive eating includes that plus it includes this cognitive piece this uh confrontation with diet culture the decision making mm. the interaction with others uh sort of this higher processing of the whole thing so i would if i was going to summarize it i would say like the mindfulness is a internal sensory type experience where the intuitive eating is that plus it incorporates this 
uh, interaction with your environment, this external piece, this cognitive, intellectual, like conscious piece of thinking. And so they're not the same thing. You know, they're not the same thing. Like it's sort of like the mindfulness is, you know, you really want to have, uh, I don't know, chocolate cake. Okay. So you're, you make the best chocolate cake, you know, you don't sort of settle for like the crap that is just not that good, frankly. And so you sit down when you're eating and you, you, you eat slower so that you're actually tasting it. And you're like, oh, this is so the chocolate is really smooth. And I like how at the end, there's that little bit of bitter and this, and, oh, maybe I want a little crunch. So I'm going to put some nuts on it or something like, you know, and then you Mm -hmm. sort of realize like, you know what, I'm, I'm kind of done. I'm a few bites in and it's, I've had that experience and I don't need to finish the whole thing. And then you make the decision that intuitive part of you says, my body's telling me that I'm full and there's not a lot more I need out of this experience and I can move on. And that's how you eat half a piece of cake. Okay. So you see how that works. It's sort of the mindfulness is the actual experience. The intuitive eating incorporates then how do you use that to make a decision? Because at the end of the day, we got to make like a decision about what we're cooking, what we're buying, what we're putting in our mouth with our fork. Like you still have to have, there's some cognitive piece about it, you know? And, and so that's where it connects. So how does the hunger fullness scale uh-huh. link into this? Right. Well, that is a tool. I like to think of that as sort of a tool when you're trying to, because the part of the problem, let me back up one step. When we've been on diets forever and ever and ever, we are used to somebody else telling us how much and what to eat and what time. We have not made any decisions based on our own body. We've made a decision based on a plan or an app or a trainer or a book or whatever we're using. We have taken the, the internal feedback loops totally out of the picture. So you have to kind of like retrain a little bit. This is not like you just delete my fitness pal. And then all of a sudden you're a mindful eater, like at lunchtime today. I wish. (laughs) I know. Right. If it was that easy. So you have to, you have to like, this is a learned skill. And so the hunger fullness thing is a, a tool to help you learn that skill. It's not intended that you like rate with a number, your hunger and fullness forever, because then it becomes the hunger fullness diet where you eat at a three and stop eating at a seven. And like, that's not the point. And that is taken way out of context and frequently used as a basically methodology where, you know, if you're not a three, you shouldn't be eating, you know, you always have to stop before you're too full, you know, all this kind of stuff. And that is a diet culture uh, take on that. So the real way it should be used that, you know, Alyssa discusses briefly, I think in this book is it's to sort of learn what that feels like, because most of us don't even know what it feels like to be hungry or full because we have eaten based on a, a prescribed, you know, very static sort of plan. Cause the truth is the cool part is the human body is like super awesome, super complex and, and knows how to do this. It knows how to do this better than you or me or a book or Alyssa Rumsey or anybody. It's, it's working. And we, if we learn about it and work with it, well, that's, that's just going to be more successful than any 
sort of strategy that you're trying to overlay on this dynamic thing because your body's needs change on a Mm. minute by minute basis, minute by minute, not in a decade of your life, not in a 24 hour, nice, pretty little plan where you flip the page and then tomorrow it's like all starting over. It's not like that. That's not how physiology works. So the more we can make this a real time experience and we make real time decisions, it's going to be better. Well, it's going to be better for our body. It's going to be better for our health, but it's also better for us when we are not fighting that Mm. because that's going on in the background, whether you choose to believe it or not, whether you choose to learn about it or not, it's still happening, you know? So whatever you can think and talk about whatever you want, but I'm telling you that your physiology is changing minute to minute. And so, yeah, that's the, that's the key is, is the mindfulness and the hunger fullness thing. These are all sort of like pieces of the bigger experience, right? You know, does that, hopefully that makes sense. Yes. Yes. So did you ever use this technique for you? Like what was, was your, did you diet a fair amount? Oh, for Pete's sake, come on lady. Of course, I'm 44 years old. Okay? Do I live I, in this world? Of course. Like, yes. Like, hello. Is the Pope Catholic? Is the sky blue? Like, let's let's be real here. Okay. Yeah. I I grew up in the you know my prime of my childhood and my early adult life was in the 80s and 90s. Mm-hmm. So that is that was diet like heyday to the max. I did it all. Did all the things. All the things. But yeah. So so this was really different because the. The fear when you stop dieting, this is so common. I know your listeners are going to feel this is that, oh my word, I'll just eat everything. Like, I'll just like, if you tell me I don't have a plan and there, I don't have to do a diet. I don't have to log all my food. I am going to drive straight to Dunkin' Donuts every morning and eat a dozen donuts every morning and then drive back through Jack in the Box at lunch and get a dozen tacos and like, I'm going to just run off the rails. I'm okay. Well, no, you won't. And how can I say that with confidence? Because if you're doing this, if you're doing the mindfulness, that doesn't feel that good. Okay. Like it doesn't feel that good in your body to eat a dozen donuts mindfully. By the time you get to the 10th, 11th, 12th donut, I promise it's not a pleasurable experience if you're paying attention. Now that's not to say during the learning process, hell, they might be a day where you drive through and you eat the whole dozen donuts, but you probably weren't really mindful in that experience. So your, your body will start And the best example. Here's the best practical example. You know how, when you go on vacation and you eat out at restaurants for like every single meal, cause you're at, on vacation yeah. and you eat dessert and you eat snacks all afternoon and you're drinking sodas, all this stuff that you may not do on a regular basis by the end of your vacation, All you want to do is go home and have like a salad or a peanut butter sandwich or something super simple. Like you don't even want the thing anymore. You don't want all the stuff because you're satisfied. You've sort of had that. So this is like doing that on like a daily basis, you know, Mm -hmm. not, you don't have to be on the cruise ship and get off the cruise ship to have this experience. Like you can, it's really a matter of trusting that your body is not going to allow you to do something that's a disservice to your health because your body wants to be healthy. So you have to trust it, but see, you can't, you can't be on this like limbo land fence sitting. Like you've got to get your ass off the fence because (laughs) if you're like, I'm going to eat mindfully, but only before 8 PM. 
okay, that's a diet. So that's yes. a diet. That's not mindfully. That's a diet where you stop eating at 8 p.m. So you have to decide you're going to do this and trust yourself. So for me, yeah, I did. And I, I do actually find that I have a higher quality of food in my diet by doing this because it's actually better. Like newsflash, it tastes better. <laughs> like, like it actually tastes better. Like when you really, really think about what it tastes like to eat like, you know, just fast food as an example, like I'm not saying don't eat fast food. I'm just saying like, really stop and think, is that the most delicious food you've had? Do your body feel the best when you eat that? No. And I'm not, not to say that sometimes it's a convenience 10 minute lunch or whatever. And you, that's it. That's fine. You know, I like like good quality food. I like buying good produce instead of buying uh, canned vegetables. If I have the means to do that, you know, it's just sort of like, it becomes a curiosity. And the best part is that the whole mind shift into intuitive eating makes this experience like positive because now it's like, Ooh, what can I have? Like, what can I try next? Like what's available? What's it's, it's through a lens of curiosity and learning and sort of personal experimentation instead of this prison of judgment and restriction and limitations. Yes. <laughs> so you actually make healthier decisions when you allow yourself the space to make the decisions. I mean, really, like yes. these diet people, they're not the boss of you. Like no. you decide what you want to eat and what it feels like in your body. And it's different. And see, that's the reason I don't do like meal plans for my clients because <laughs> I don't want to tell you what to eat. I don't want it. The reason you're having trouble and I'm talking to your listeners in general is, you know, mm -hmm. not because you don't have information. I mean, give me a break. Like yeah. we, we are not at a lack of information. Nobody is hiring me to be their coach because they can't figure out how much protein is in the chicken breast. They just have no way <laughs> to find it. Like you can Google that shit in five seconds. So I, they, what I help people do is how to make the decision about deciding what to eat. And then you decide, Yes, you know, that's what you need help with. That's what nobody's talking about. They're just telling you what to do. Well, we're done with that. We're done with that. We've been doing that for our whole lives and it hasn't gotten us anywhere except for in a big fat pile of eating disorders and yes. disordered eating and, you know, depression and anxiety and social, all this mess. So, yes, you know, that's it. Yes. Yes. We're done with that. Yeah. You're going to make your that. own decisions. Yes. Yes. But you have yes. to have tools. You know, it sounds all beautiful, but, and I realize it's easier said than done. It's a, it's a process to learn this, you know, and nobody's going to get that. But like this book that we're talking about today, this is a good place to start because it's, it, she has a lot of uh, kind of how to, like how to, like, yes, you should be more uh, allowing with this, but then she's got all those things we talked about yeah. where she has questions and yeah, like, okay, yeah. here's how we, the rubber meets the road. Like what, what does that yeah. mean? Yes. She seems to use mindfulness as a philosophy throughout the entire text, as opposed to just using it just to talk about food. She uses it for a lot of different purposes in the book. And I loved that because I don't know that I've read another book like that when it comes to talking about mindfulness. So I appreciate right. that a bit. Oh yeah, definitely. And certainly not written by a dietitian. You know, it's <laughs> like I said, there's a lot of psychology in this book, which is cool because she's got this scientific background, but she recognizes the importance of the 
the thinking, this human psyche, you know, is so wrapped up. You can't separate them, frankly. Let's jump to the last section because she talks in the last section. So she, in the section that we're not going to talk about, she talks a lot about a lot of stuff about body image. That's where she kind of talks quite a bit about that. Uh, And then this last section, she kind of takes everything to the next level because this is where she talks about values and boundaries and she has a whole chapter on embodiment. So what does that mean? And what kind of stuff does she talk about to get us to feel more embodied? Yeah, that's like a big word, right? That's it's like a, a big, really big uh, word. Yeah, <laughs> it's a big yes. word. Yeah, it's, um, and it sounds a little woo-woo. I use the word woo-woo, like sort of yeah. this metaphysical, like spiritual sort of like connection with the universe yeah. and intuition <laughs> yes. and stuff, which is, not my cup of tea in general. So I like to really make it practical because this is a real thing. And the idea is being present and having ownership and and sort of agency over your body. Mm -hmm. And as you mentioned, she goes through how um, setting boundaries, establishing what what your values are. Because I'll tell you what, doing some real, this is a side note, all right? If you are a listener you're and you have not gone through some sort of exercise somewhere with someone defining your own personal values, do it. Do that first. Do that before you read this book. Do that before you do anything, honestly. Do that before you do your laundry. It's, I had never done that until a couple of years ago. I mean, I sort of knew what I valued, but putting your values in like four or five words is very eye-opening. I mean, a bi- businesses do it all the time. They have their, I mean, it's like, that's like in the employee orientation. You know, we value integrity, <laughs> we value leadership, whatever it is. So we need to do that as people because when you figure that out and you start doing everything in your life according to that, it is a totally different experience because it is, it's about you. It's, that's how you really become more fully you and you have a um, level of empowerment because you know the decisions you're making about your food and your body and your job and your relationships and your finances and stuff are in alignment or not in alignment. And it, it makes the, what do I say yes to? What do I say no to? Very easy because mm-hmm. it, it becomes clear what's, and it's different for everybody. There's not a right or wrong answer. The thing is, there's not a right or wrong answer. But you have to figure out what are your sort of, uh, you know, keys to this lock. So I say that because the embodiment piece, and she talks about values, the value exercise is super important to do in general. But what this embodiment idea is, it's connecting that mind-body thing. Because we have these physical experiences and sensory experiences and then we have emotional experiences and then we have this brain that tries to think about everything and put it all together and we generally speaking in at least in this western culture rely on the thinking piece that we can outsmart any decision we can override our emotions and our body based on our uh, intellect it's just a it's our our that's how our culture val our, honestly it's kind of a cultural value. Um, and it's why we 
are kind of disconnected because we have this very heavy reliance on the cognitive piece and the intellectual piece. And that's why we do all these diets because it sounds smart. Like it really does. It sounds smart on paper. It sounds like, okay, yeah, I see if I eat this many calories and then I go run this many laps of the gym and stuff, it's like a big algebra problem. And it's, it, it appeals to our intellect. And that's where we rely on our intellect. The problem is we are not a big algebra problem. Uh, thank God. We're not even a big calculus problem. So we have, we become way more, uh, balanced, empowered, authoritative, confident, whatever word you want to use creatures. When we can use all of that, when we use our emotional assets and our emotional intelligence, our physical body and that, uh, experience of having a body and having sensations, and our intellect, and we and we have that more like a triangle with the three things instead of this like way, way brain thought heavy experience of life. And so it's really establishing that level of trust. And it takes like, just like we said before, this takes time to develop because we have not done this. Most people have not, uh, you know, you don't just like say, okay, connect the dots and you flip a switch and now we're like balanced you know, embodied people. It, it takes a learning and, and learning from people who have the skills to teach you that. But essentially that helps this whole intuitive eating journey because then it's not such a stretch for you to know what to eat because you're, you know that uh, what it feels like in your body, what the emotional response is to the food or how we are responding to our other emotions with food, you know, you sort of have a lot more personal insight once you're in this embodied state. And she talks a lot about in the book about how, you know, I guess she sort of had this physical experience. She gives a very long narrative about sitting on the beach and touching the sand and the water and moving her body around and stuff. And that's fine. And some people, it is a physical sort of transformation. They start walking in the grass barefoot and they, for me, it was not like that. Honestly, I just am not, that's not my deal. <laughs> and that's okay. It doesn't have to be your deal. If that doesn't feel, if that doesn't sort of resonate with, with you, that's okay. But the idea is that your body has a purpose. It has feedback built into it. I mean, it's, it's supposed to work. It's supposed to help you. We, let me just say this, whether you believe in divine creation or just really damn good engineering, the human body is designed to work. It works. It is a perfect design because guess what? We would be extinct if it wasn't <laughs> like, that's how it works. So it has to have internal sort of control mechanisms and tapping into that and leveraging that to your advantage rather than fighting it. That's the golden ticket. So that's really what this embodiment piece talks about is connecting that because we, you know, it's just important to recognize how reliant we are on our brains and our thinking. We're a society of overthinkers and women in particular, women are a million times worse, you know, and that, and I am too. That's just how we are. That's how we're trained. It, it's just, it is. Yeah. Well, and I mean, when you're dieting, they are, there's a whole whack load of tips on things you can do to get out of your body in order that you don't feel hunger and you don't feel full. Like oh yeah. We're, we're, yeah. we're 
told that we just have to do this other thing and then we won't be hungry and we're just bypassing all yeah. of this. I love, oh, that burns me up so much. This like hunger hacks. When you feel hungry, yeah. <laughs> drink water, go for a walk, do <laughs> yoga, take a nap. I'm like, how about you eat some damn food? Like, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it is, you're right. It Diet culture it emphasizes and pushes us even further away from this embodiment. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, letting go of that and just recognizing like, you know what? I think my body actually might work okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's okay. We just <laughs> might, might have okay. to do a little bit of work to connect with it. Yes. Yes. I had a question from my Facebook group and I it, it's an interesting question. I know Alyssa Rumsey does address it in the book, uh, but she's asking about best ways for someone with low income to make peace with food. And I thought this was a really interesting question. I, um, I have a lot of privilege in this way. Uh, so it wasn't something that came to my mind. So I'm really glad she asked it. So do you have any tips for someone who is on a low income and trying to do intuitive eating or mindfulness eating or, or trying to become embodied? Like what, what kind of things can they do? Right. Well, first, let me say to anybody listening or that particular, you know, audience member that, this whole diet culture concept is an extremely privileged uh, conversation, all right? And in general, the diet weight loss messaging has a total ignorance of the fact that, you know, food insecurity is like a real thing, that there are social uh, and cultural determinants of health that are and your longevity than dieting. Okay. They, they ignore that because guess what? That doesn't make them any money and diet culture wants your money. So I just want to frame the whole conversation that don't feel like you have to sort of, um, recognize that's where they are coming from. So that's okay. I mean, you know, it's just like, that's, it's okay to feel like you can't participate or you're not able to participate in all this stuff. And you very well may not be able to shop at Trader Joe's and do, you know, journaling for three hours a day when you're working five jobs. And I mean, you know what I'm saying? It's like, that is taken so far out of context. There's like one out of five uh, American families does not have enough food. We're not talking about just like the perfect foods or the high nutrient density foods and stuff. They don't have enough food for the mouths in their homes. So yes, I have many, much, much, much empathy. And I, I have not been a person who's experienced that. I mean, I am very privileged in that way. I have never been hungry because I didn't have food. All right. So I, I say this from, you know, my public health education, not from a place of lived experience, but, you know, and, and the problem is the the doctors, the dietitians, the nutritionists, all these people that are trying to help um, are not framing any of their recommendations with empathy or a understanding or even a acknowledgement of some personal limitations. Okay, so I can see how somebody uh, with a sort of lower socioeconomic status would feel excluded from this. I can understand that. That being said, there are ways to adopt some of these concepts even if you're on a budget, even if you're buying your groceries at Dollar General or whatever, or getting food from a food pantry, there's always 
something. Okay. Everybody can do something a little, 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 little something. And if you're not finding help to figure out what that next something is, you're talking to the wrong person. If the answer with your bag of groceries from the food pantry is buy organic tomatoes at Trader Joe's, that person is totally ignorant. So, you know, there are things to do. And I love, um, this is kind of, to me, this is sort of like a game to figure out what to make with what's in my pantry. <laughs> like, what do you have? Like, what is, what is in your possession and what can we do with it that makes it palatable, that makes it go farther for the money that kids would like? I mean, I, this is like a superpower of mine is like uh, re-engineering what we already have mm -hmm. and not feeling like we need to have more and more and more and more stuff. If you have the luxury of all the stuff, then that's great. And, and there are ways to help you people too, but the recommendations are different. And the, you know, cause here we are like in arguing about choline and do we have more of like a reserve retall and all this kind of stuff. Listen, we just, there are 20% of the families just want to get food on the damn table. Yes. And so let's not shame them. Let's give them some tips and tricks and, and it can be done without fancy appliances, without fancy groceries, you know, so, uh, and your, uh, your audience member was asking about buying, they asked about candy, I think specifically like, yeah. you yeah. know, do yeah. I buy the candy where I get more in the bag or do I buy the candy with the ones I really like? Yes. And I will tell you 100 out of 100 times you eat what you like. All right, because that's how you're going to have a experience. That's how you're going to enjoy the experience. Like, and so if it means that your bag of candy is going to run out a few days sooner because there's less of the good candy in the bag, that's okay. I would say that the advantage of enjoying every single piece of candy in that bag is more important than buying the other bag that's twice as full, but the stuff is sort of like tasteless and not that interesting to you. Yes. You know, especially when you're talking about something that's pleasurable, you know, now when I'm talking about, do I buy the generic uh, macaroni box that has twice as much macaroni as the, you know, Skinner brand macaroni? Well, now that doesn't matter. So then you probably should buy the one that's got more in it. If you're trying to stretch your dollar, because there's no difference. There's it, a noodle is a noodle, right? But, yeah. but, you know, if you're talking about something that you're, I, I don't like the word treating yourself to, but you're, you're doing something nice. It's an act of self-care to buy candy at all. Then, uh, get what you like, get what you like. But I want to just encourage this person that asked the question that, uh, I see you and want you to feel like you can participate in this. And if you're not getting that advice from somebody or you're feeling excluded, you're talking to the wrong people because this is entirely possible, you know, and that's, that's my other superpower besides re-engineering your pantry is I like to meet people where they're at and say, okay, what's the next best thing for you? You know, because that's the only way it's the, the next best thing for me or for everybody in general is just like a spitting out into the ocean. It's not really that impactful. Um, so I would be happy, you know, and this person, uh, of course there, I'm not 
selling myself to be their coach. But if you, if they want to give them my email and I'm happy to talk to them directly and help them out because it's, it should, eating should not be this exclusionary experience. No, we have to eat. We're all humans. Every yeah. single human is eating, <laughs> except for the ones that are intermittent fasting. They're not eating, <laughs> but they'll eat tomorrow. Yes. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so this is this is possible. You know, this is really possible. And and I really, really, you know, back to the book because I know we're getting close to wrapping up here. The the whole idea is that this is something anybody can learn about and anybody can incorporate to whatever degree is comfortable Mm -hmm. or desired. Yes, 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 yes. No, I, and I think you're right. She gives, she gives everybody at very different levels, something to do. And I don't think you could run out of things to do. There's so much in there. (laughs) Oh no. Yeah. There's plenty in here for me to do. There's like, I mean, it's just, this is a process. This is an ongoing thing. Um, this is not a checklist that, you know, intuitive eating is not like, okay, check. I did it. It's off my to-do list. Now I go to the next thing. Yes. It's, but it gets easier. You know, I, it takes a lot of sort of bandwidth to learn about it, but I will promise anybody who's gets into it, it becomes easier and easier. And this becomes the reflexive answer and the default. Yes. Yes. So it's not always going to require doing uh, exercises out of a book and writing down these questions and stuff, but it's, yep. uh, you got to start. Yes. You got to start with a little bit of footwork. Exactly. So, yeah. Exactly. No, love it. Thank you for answering the question. That was sure. wonderful. So let's say you have a really good friend who reads this book, really likes it, wants something else. What would you recommend? Well, okay. I'll be honest. I have, uh, I like a lot of books. <laughs> I know you, I'm, well, I, okay. Second only to you, probably. I, I shouldn't say that to you because I'm sure you are, you have read many, many more books than I have. I I'll be honest. You've probably said this a million times, but I have um, three books that I consider the starter pack for somebody getting into this. And in my opinion, that is the intuitive eating book by Evelyn Triboli and Elise Resch health at every size by Linda slash Lindo Bacon. And the anti-diet book by Christy Harrison. To me, those, and you've probably discussed all of them on your podcast because they are all just outstanding. Um, Those are the, that's like the starter pack because I think that is the perfect combination of historical detail that puts it in perspective, scientific information that gives it like teeth. And then here's what I do next. Like, what do I do next? So I do love those books. Gosh, I'm trying to think of what else now I'm super excited. I have to be honest. So I am so excited. I follow, uh, and am sort of in contact with this psychologist who works in the anti-diet space named Alexis Connison. If any of your listeners follow her, she's at the anti-diet plan is her Instagram handle, the anti-diet plan. And she is, she has a book her first book, if I'm not mistaken, at least on this topic that is in pre-order now, it's coming out in, I think, June or July, and it's called uh, The Anti-Diet Revolution. Or so, I'm probably saying it wrong. I'm sorry, Alexis, if you're listening and I said it wrong, <laughs> but uh, if you go to her Instagram page, yeah. you'll be able to obviously see it. That, I, I haven't even read the book. I don't have any preview of it or anything like that, but I, 
can promise you with my entire soul that it will be a great addition to this starter pack because she is super personable and super, you need to have somebody read it and come back and discuss it. And it can be me if you want, but she's, um, yeah, that's a good one. That's coming up. That's a good one. That's coming up. There's one that just came out that I have not gotten my hands on yet called food is not medicine. Yes. I've Um, got that one on pre-order actually. Yeah. So that's going to, that's a Dr. Woolrich, Woolrich, um, in the UK. Yeah. So there's so much like, and that's what makes me hopeful. Yes. You know, this is what makes me hopeful. Like the section of these books at Barnes and Noble or at your bookstore are getting like, it's getting bigger and bigger. Yes. There's actually a conversation happening. There's, you know, and there's podcasts, there's Instagram accounts, there's books, there's all, there's documentary, there's all sorts of stuff. Yes. Also, whatever your media of choice is, you know, this is a conversation that's occurring. Yes. And the more and more people that consume this, understand this and start participating in the conversation, this is how the, you know, culture is going to be disrupted. This is how, like you and I said, in 20 years, whatever, uh, this, this will be a historical detail. We can talk about diet culture in the past tense. We're not there yet, but I'm hopeful. I really am hopeful. And this was an outstanding book. I'm so glad we picked this one. It's fairly newish. Um, I don't remember exactly when it came out, but I ordered it on pre-order when it did because I love this kind of stuff. Me too. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. No, you're right. Did it come out in 2021? Yeah, it did. It's 2021. So it's like brand, brand new. Yeah. Brand, brand, brand new, but oh, really worth the expense. Highly recommend. Like I know oh, yeah, in absolutely. Canada, our books are so much more expensive than your guys' books. So, but it's yeah, what really- is the deal with that? What's the Canadian dollar? What is the publishing? Says twenty six ninety five US dollars, but it's thirty six ninety five in Canada. Yeah, it was an expensive book to buy, but it well, and I mean, this is something that I do. I I just buy books. It does. I barely even look at the price anymore. <laughs> right that's a privilege it's worth it that's a privilege i recognize that totally well it's probably in the library honestly pretty soon they'll probably have copies in the library i would assume like if you you know you might be able to check it out or something if you can't buy the book that's okay yeah and this one is worth the read for sure for sure so okay you know what i have used so much of your time and i appreciate you taking the time so let's let's just finish up with you telling the listeners where they can find you what kind of things you've got going on. And I will make sure anything you say is down below in the show notes. So all they have to do is scroll down and click. Fabulous. Well, thank you for letting me have that opportunity, Jen. I am easy to find because my handle is Maggie Landis MD and that's everywhere. So my Instagram where I'm the most active is Maggie Landis MD. I'm on clubhouse, which is actually where I met you. Um, and I have a club on clubhouse. If you all are clubhouse people get into the anti-diet collaborative club, because there's conversations like this ongoing. Yes. Uh, and that's like I said, how I connected with Jen in the first place. Um, my website is Maggie Landis MD and I have a lot of coaching programs and I am doing a new thing. If I want to mention that is a pro to pro coaching. So I really want to work more with health professionals and that might be nutritionists, dietitians, fitness professionals, uh, doctors, even whoever considers himself a health professional who wants to sort of uh, get a good deep dive on their own content and their own programming and make sure that they're delivering a, a weight inclusive uh, haze aligned product to their own clients. Mm. So, uh, and I don't have a lot of information about that on my website. Cause that's not the majority of my clients, but if you're happy 
happen to be listening and you happen to be a pro, send me a message and we'll contact. But, and I'm a podcaster too. You know, I don't even know if I told you I'm a podcaster. So you can drop my podcast link in there. It's called the Eat Fluencer Podcast. Oh, wonderful. Oh, that's great. Well, yeah. I will definitely have to take a listen to myself. That is awesome. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you for having me. I mean, this, you know, I know we took a long time here, but this conversation is so important. And uh, yeah, I'm so, so glad to be in front of your audience and moving this message a little further out there. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Maggie, for being on Fat Girl Book Club. I didn't lie to you, did I? It was a pretty awesome conversation, right? (laughs) Okay, so just a reminder that if you like what we talked about in here, make sure you get your copy of the Your Better Body Image Checklist. The link to my website is in the show notes below. And if you already have your copy of the Your Better Body Image Checklist, then make sure that you are a member in the Your Better Body Image Facebook group. Uh, This is an opportunity to win some free books. Woohoo! So what I'd like to end with today is a review. Reviews are so freaking exciting. (laughs) I mean, honestly, if you want to do me a solid, if you are really enjoying this podcast and you want to support me in some way, there are ways to support me right now. I, I do have an opportunity for you to purchase some merchandise from the podcast. Uh, I have a new online course, which is kind of being rolled out right now. I have all kinds of things happening, but what really brings me joy, what really makes me dance, what really, really honestly can bring me to tears is if you leave me a review. And if you leave me a review, uh, the really great thing about that is that it really helps for other people to find us. There's some type of an algorithm in the background and it allows other people to find the work that we're doing. So this review that I got was from PND Fan. And if you're listening, um, I just want to say that this review made me feel really seen. It made me feel... uh, (laughs) like you got me. And I I just, from the bottom of my heart, want to say thank you so much. This review says, I feel this podcast is such an underrated resource in the body neutrality positivity sphere. I love her style and have learned so much since I started listening. I also appreciate the introduction to so many other people working in this great sphere. Cannot recommend it enough. Well, PND fan, you made me cry. And I want to thank you for that. Keep reading, everyone.